Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Privilege to be back in New York. Love being in Jacksonville. It's always great uh, with the great WOKV studios, but always be even better to be at 48th and 6th uh, where everything is at your fingertips. We've gone jubilee crazy. Uh, if, uh, looking at the UK and the Queen and a remarkable life, what she's seen, what she's witnessed. Uh, she's dealt with every president dating back to Harry Truman. Uh, that's going on on TV, but on radio, we're focusing on something entirely different. General Jack Keane has been scrambled early to help us out to unwind what's happening, and a lot is happening in Ukraine. Carly Shimpikas uh, puts it all together. She had Fox & Friends first this morning, uh, riding the news with her. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I was not surprised at all that they awarded Johnny Depp what they awarded him and found essentially in his favor. But I was surprised that they threw Amber Heard the small bone that they did. However, that is a good thing because it does show that they were careful, that they were methodic. Uh, that is just one of the many lawyers who were kind of shocked by the Depp Heard trial. Depp prevails and Amber must pay the price, specifically $15 million. Her uh, career is over. Both, both embarrassed themselves. But for some reason, America could not get enough of this trial. I'm going to ask you, why are you interested? Number two. Are you confident Congress will take action on gun legislation, sir? I served in Congress for, Congress for 36 years. I'm never confident. Totally. <laughs> it depends. And I don't know. I've not been on the negotiations as are going on right now. All right, there you go, uh, President Biden. House, House moving slowly, Senate zooming. We wait and see if gun legislation that will somehow be effectively dealing with the rash of problems we're having at schools and in making workplace. If you look what happened in Oklahoma, we'll discuss what could possibly help rather than score political points. Number one. Look, I'm an optimist. You know, I, I, I said there's storm clouds. There are big storm clouds. There are, it's a hurricane. Right now, it's kind of sunny. Things are doing fine. You know, everyone thinks the, the Fed can handle this. That hurricane is right out there down the road coming our way. Uh, that is Jamie Dimon, maybe one of the most uh, esteemed business people in the country, J.P. Morgan Chase. Retirements, vacations, new car purchases put on hold. Our economy is rocked by challenges. As you saw, Jamie Dimon says, hold on tight. Economic hurricane, hurricane could be coming our way. President Biden says, not his fault. He can't help. And when it comes to catastrophic disappearances of baby formula, he didn't know anything until April. The problem is the baby formula people tried to tell him in January. First things first, if you want to know what's happening with our, our foreign policy and national security, where we are united, it seems for the most part on Ukraine and making sure they have the weapons necessary to be successful against one of our arch enemies in the world by their choosing, and that's Russia. General Jack Keane, 
as chairman of the Institute for the Study of War. Fox News senior strategic analyst uh, joins us now. General, welcome back. Oh, always delighted to be here, Brian. Hey, uh, General, so much to go over. Uh, First off, I I find it interesting that Ukraine is not allowing Kyrgyzstan and Mariupol uh, for now just to say, okay, it's in Russian hands. They're trying to do a counteroffensive in the places that the Russians want to simply annex, correct? Yes, that's that's true. Uh, I, this has been a real tough week uh, for the Ukrainians, certainly, because they've lost the city of a suburb Donetsk and, and, and likely now the entire Luhansk uh, Republic, as it's, as it's called by Russia, which is the eastern part of the Donbass, will be under uh, Russian control. But at the same time, as you indicated, the Ukrainians are also conducted a limited uh, counterattack in the vicinity of Kherson, which is a city and a province that uh, is under Russian control, and they they are having some success with that. What what the Russians have done here is, you know, their their initial campaign plan with four attack axes to topple the country failed miserably, and certainly that was uh, personified by the collapse of, uh, uh, of the ba- at the Battle of Kiev. And then also Kharkiv uh, fell uh, later on in terms of Ukraine's taking that back. But what the, what the Russians did, they went into the Donbass region also on four axes again and had a very complicated plan to begin with. And it was not succeeding. So they, they changed to the whole focus just to be on the Luans uh, province and focus on one city, and that's several Donbass. And they stopped attacking in the western part of the Donbass region completely because they would not succeed and focused everything on this one city. That's the first time they've ever done anything like that, more deliberate, less complicated. And they have had some success, and it's the artillery that is making a difference for the Russians. They have more of it than the Ukrainians, and they also have artillery at a greater range. That's why they requested the multiple rocket launchers from the United States to give them the equivalent range so that they can deal with long-range Russian artillery. So this artillery is basically, well, we can't beat you one-on-one, so we'll sit back, and we have this armament, we got these, uh, we got the ammo, and we're just going to start raising cities indiscriminately, whether it's a church, a school, a field, or a military installation. They'll just try to raise an entire city and kill what they can. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it, and... This is something that is is a Russian way of war. They fought that way in in World War II, um, and artillery was was the dominant factor for them. And here, so our audience knows, their maneuver forces, their ground infantry and armor forces, are not particularly well led. They're not properly trained. They have low morale, and they don't perform, not surprisingly, very well at all. So it's the artillery that they're they're relying on, and it is grinding down the Ukrainians and taking uh, more casualties certainly than the than Ukrainians want to. It it's unfortunate it's taken us a couple of months to finally say yes to providing them with the multiple rocket launchers, which is the system they need that can properly range the Russians' long-range artillery, which has been uh, very harmful to the Ukrainians, and that's why they want that system because artillery kills artillery, as does air power. And that, and they need that additional capability to be able to do that effectively. General Keene, uh, we're giving them a transfer for M142 high-mobility artillery rocket systems. That's not the exact one they wanted, but it, will it do the job? 
Yes, it, it will, but they need more of them. I mean, certainly four is likely what we have uh, already in Europe, I would imagine. But we need to get them uh, – we need to get more systems. These systems will fire out somewhere around 40 miles, and that'll get at the Russian art, art, long-range artillery. But uh, obviously, uh, four systems is is, is not going to be sufficient. And um, we just got to do this with a sense of uh, a sense of urgency. And for the life of me, I don't know why we played around with this often and often on again decision about whether we should provide this system or not. And again, yeah. being concerned unnecessarily, so I think, in provoking Russia. I mean, Russia, certainly, uh, the fact that the Ukrainians are now going to ha- have longer-range artillery to provide to, to support their operations, uh, I don't think is going to provoke Russia into anything, quite frankly. General Jack Keane, our guest. Uh, Russia says the U.S. is pouring gasoline on the fire by arming the Ukrainians. Uh, right now, the street fighting that's going on, they said that we are just lengthening Ukrainians' loss. The Wall Street Journal also has a story today that documents show, shown to them show Russians are breaking ranks and refusing to serve in the war. They don't call it a war. Also, many desertions. That's a big problem. And if you start prosecuting the desertions, more attention will be, be brought to the general public on the failure of this operation so far. Also, major issues that you've been discussing, mid-level officers, many are not obeying or refuse to follow orders. Morale is bad. Corruption is great. And pay is terrible. Have you heard some of this? Yes, they, most definitely. I think what, what was interesting to me in that article, we, we were very much aware of the problems that they're having fighting the battle and the, and the combat refusals that are taking place by organizations uh, under Russian control that are in Ukraine and certainly some desertions that are, that are, are part of that. But what I found surprising in the article is when – the the war began that there were um, there were people who were deserting the ranks then before they actually were deployed um, and it get, gives you a sense of Russia certainly didn't do anything what they should do in properly preparing their organizations uh, for fighting the war. I mean we spend a lot of time with our soldiers on why are we doing this because they deserve to have those kind of answers. And we deserve to stand and respond to their questions as well. Um, so the fact that the Russians didn't prepare their soldiers mentally, psychologically, and emotionally for this is also a sign of a leadership failure at the, at the highest levels. Yeah, I, I know you have to get out in uh, in a few minutes, but just a few other things. There seems to be uh, Germany got berated into doing it, but now they're promising to provide Ukraine with more heavy weapons. Uh, and they're sending advanced artillery rocket launchers because Zelensky said, what are you guys doing? There also seems to be a divide between East and West. Uh, essentially, uh, the France, uh, the France, Germany, uh, others saying, hey, you know what? Let's just uh, let's see if we get some talks going uh, in the East, the Lithuania, the Latvia, the Baltic nations, Poland. They're saying, are you crazy? We cannot let the Russians off the hook. And a few years they've got to be back and they're going to come for us. It is uh, this is not the ending that you should you don't understand the enemy basically is with the Baltic nations and the former uh, Eastern Bloc nations are saying. What can you tell me about this split? Well, I, yeah, it's been there right from the beginning and even be, before the war. I mean, the the Eastern uh, European countries that were under the, the footprint of, of the Soviet Union have, have always wanted to 
support NATO in terms of its defense budgets, uh, increase their capabilities. They've always had alarm and concern about Russia's aggression. The West uh, obviously entered into ec- Western Europe, entered into economic deals with Russia, uh, which are now a, a obviously a bur- very much a burden, particularly oil and gas, with the thought that by um, having an economic relationship, that would lead to more stability and security uh, in Europe with Russia. Of course, that failed miserably, much as it did uh, with the economic outreach to, to China as well. Yeah, so th- those differences there, and actually Putin is counting on this. You know, after he's going to turn his focus to the, to the Donetsk per- portion of the Donbass region and try to seize that entire region and then likely annex it and make it a part of Russia. But what he's counting on here is, over the long term is Ukrainian fatigue. He is counting on the Western European countries to likely at some point begin to ease up on the sanctions and also ease up on providing Ukraine with ammunition and the arms that they need. The media, by and large, has in the last month or so, has moved away from the story. Uh, not that they're not covering it somewhat, but they're not covering it the way they used to. And, and Putin is, is counting on the West to buckle, and, and certainly not just in terms of sanctions, but in terms of helping the Ukrainians. I hear you. We're not going to, and I know you're not going to. Uh, General Jack Keane, thanks so much. All right. Great talking to you, Brian. Take, thank you. You got it. Go get him, General. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll take your calls on that. Listen, uh, I also want to talk about uh, what's going on with this trial. Uh, for the most part, never been a Johnny Depp fan. Uh, I, I, don't, I look at him, I've, you know, doing drugs, all the drinking, out of control, not unique to Hollywood, just kind of a slimy guy. You know, I, I, people say he's a talented actor. I never really bought into it. But whatever, sex symbol type guy, Amber Heard, seems absolutely on another planet. But together, wherever you go, people of all ages would be talking about this trial. Now that we have a verdict and Johnny Depp prevails, all of a sudden people have never been further away from the Me Too movement. Uh, believe, uh, take a woman at their word. If they say it, it's supposed to be believed. Remember that? Then Al Franken gets blown up. Matt Lauer gets blown up. Charlie Rose gets blown up. Maybe in, all for the good reasons. I haven't researched their cases. I imagine they are. But things have certainly changed over the last few years. And now when this happens, I'm even watching the other channels this morning, getting ready for this show because I'm not on TV. I was able to flip around. Nobody's saying Amber Heard, a woman gets the short end of the stick. It's a man's world. We're not hearing that anymore. Why is that? And I'm all ears. I'm not an expert. one 408 You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
a talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I was not surprised at all that they awarded Johnny Depp what they awarded him and found essentially in his favor, but I was surprised that they threw Amber Heard the small bone that they did. However, that is a good thing because it does show that they were careful, that they were methodic, and that they really, really evaluated the evidence. And this is not a case of them being starstruck about Johnny Depp. And it's not a case of what Amber is trying to describe uh, of being sort of uh, behind the, a powerful man. That wasn't in at all. I think the jury took their job seriously, and it showed in their verdict. And man, uh, did, did it ever. A jury sided with Depp in his libel suit against his ex-wife, who uh, evidently he felt as though he was referenced when she talked about being abused back in a few years ago. And they write a column in the Washington Post, and she retweeted it. Uh, so he said, you destroyed my career. I can't get another job, and I never hit you. Well, we hear the whole story. We watch Johnny Depp on the floor. We see this horrible video, cuts his hand open. He's always on drugs, cocaine on the table. You would think that this guy destroyed his career. Instead, they're saying that Johnny Depp's career is going to be hot again. Really? He played in a band the other day with Jeff Beck, who's like 111 years old. So the verdict issued awards him $10 million uh, right away. Uh, uh, Heard has got to pay. And uh, in a split decision, she gets $2 million, but then he gets an additional $5 million in punitive damages. I, I, I assume the money he had to spend to defend himself. So he gets $15 million. His, he looks like a drug-addled alcoholic who couldn't care less about his body, his look, going from one starlet to the next. But the problem is he doesn't come off belligerent. He doesn't come off hateful. He comes up a guy you actually feel bad for it. I don't uh, feel bad for it to a degree because it looks like Amber Heard enhanced everything and no one really believed a lot of the stuff that she was doing on the stand. And now she's financially ruined. I don't know. Is there going to be an Aquaman 4? What else does she do? Is she What kind of movies is she in? Here's some of the, the sights and sounds of her past trials. Listen to what went on in this trial. Cut 25. Did something happen to you? I was just sitting there on this on on this carpet looking at the dirty carpet wondering how I wound up on this carpet and why I was never why I never noticed that the carpet was so filthy before after you said let's drown her before we burn her Mr. Depp you said I will her burnt corpse afterwards to make sure she is dead. He came to New York to fight for the relationship. After the wedding, there was a dinner, dancing, and drugs on on the schedule that uh, came from Ms. Heard and Ms. Pennington. Don't call me a liar. It's all I said. Just don't call me a liar. So pathetic, uh, so brutal, uh, and it makes me so happy I am not a famous Hollywood actor. Uh, because, I mean, they should be the ones in this world who have the least amount to worry about, who are the last ones to be doing this. The people out there listening to me right now, grinding it out, working 14 hours, worried about inflation, diesel fuel, uh, the type of gas, can I really travel, why was my flight canceled on Delta? This, this guy, Johnny Depp, owns an island. What are you escaping from with drugs and alcohol?
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. He just kicked me in the back. And he starts punching the, the wall next to my head. He knows he's lying. Otherwise, why can't he look at me? I think that I ended up locking myself in about at, le- at least nine bedrooms, bathrooms that day um, as she was banging on the doors and screaming obscenities and wanting to uh, have a physical altercation. Uh, that is Johnny Depp, who was barely awake. He doesn't really talk or project himself. Uh, and guess what? Cody Shimkus is here. And um, uh, Fox and Friends First was the last time we were doing news on the show. That's now we're doing Jubilee. Right. I was listening this morning. Very mm-hmm. good. Um, and then I had to flip channels. Because, you had to do your radio show. Uh, yeah, because I want to prepare for the radio show. Right. And uh, other people are – the Jubilee is a wonderful organization. Or, it's a wonderful event. Yes. Okay. Yes. But, uh, but let's just talk about this for a second. I, you know, I was – I took a what, – what happened is – I did radio yesterday from WOKV in Jacksonville because I stayed an extra day because they weren't letting us work Thursday or Friday. So I was going to take off Tuesday. And then they said, Brian, you're not going to be here Thursday, Friday, so I'm not going to miss radio. So I only really uh, – so I end up d- doing the show. I'm fascinated by this Johnny Depp trial. Number one, the verdict. Number two, wherever I went from day one this was on, I didn't think I wanted a day without people going, yeah, do you watch that? Yeah, did you it, see it what's going on here? What do you think well, – first, why, why is that? Okay, so I, I think it's fascinating to learn about the people who are super honed into this. Like I would have never thought that you would be really into this because uh, when I think about the topics that you're into, I think, you know, border, no, military. But this one just cuts through. I think it's a spectacle. Uh, it's one of those things where uh, if you're covering it on TV, you never really know what tone to take because a lot of the allegations are horrifyingly terrible. On both terrible. sides. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's like these people are famous and clearly crazy. So it's there's also an element of like kind of humor in, in, in this as well. And there were certain times where Johnny Depp was actually laughing at some of the stuff that was being lobbed at him. Um, uh, but I, the way that I see it is that this, I mean, he took such a risk in doing this. I, I'm not a lawyer, but you listen to any legal mind and they say that, I mean, it is so rare that somebody wins a defamation trial because the, the burden of proof is so high. And he just, did you hear when they were going through each of the charges? Because the jury yesterday, they had to fill out a questionnaire with, you know, it, w- did Amber Heard, is she found guilty of doing this? And it was like 52 questions. And every single answer came back, uh, yes, she was wrong in this regard. She defamed him here. She, and it was just yes after yes. And the camera was just on her face the un- entire time. And you could only imagine what was going through that woman's head. See, it I'm, was wild. Right. I mean, we used to know the biggest stars all the time. I think things have changed over the last few years, but everybody knows Johnny Depp. Everybody but knows I didn't him. really big into Amber Heard. Well, I, she's not that famous. Right. I mean, she, she really is famous because she's so beautiful. She was in The Rum Diaries. That's where they met. Uh, the, have you ever seen that movie? I mean, it is just – there are these two gorgeous people. The movie's terrible. I mean, it's an awful movie, but it's just a – it's just a spectacle because they're so gorgeous. I think it took place in Portland. And they Rico. just have all type, different types of sex. The... In the movie? Yeah. I don't remember that part. Oh, is that <laughs> what you were leading to? I know. It's just oh. gorgeous. It's just well shot, terrible plot, but that's where they fell in love. And I am sure now she's like, I wish I never took that role because her life is completely destroyed now, um, uh, you know, by her own fault. But the other thing is, is it amazing? You always say love and hate the razor's edge. It's totally true. These people hate each other. And they used to love each other. Right. I mean, it's hard, hard to believe. He came to me to save the marriage. All right. Number one, while he is winning his $15 million, 
We find out he's on drugs. He gets so drunk every day that he doesn't even remember anything like this. Cuts his finger open. We still don't know why. She has a bruise in her face. I don't think I did it. You know, I had to lock myself in my room. Remember she said, we still don't know that. Well, the reason he got his finger chopped off she said she threw a vodka bottle at is him? He, well, that's what he was saying, that he threw, that she threw a bottle at him, and it sliced his finger, and he almost lost it. And also, he said that um, she took a lit cigarette and put it out on his face. What? Right. I mean, this but is do we have proof of that? There is, there is a picture of the uh, where it looks like there's like a red mark on his face, but you would think that that would leave a scar. Um, but anyway, right. we're, we're really, I mean, he's no angel either by any means. But and he, I think that's what you were alluding drugs, to. But drugs, alcohol, doesn't take care of himself, a mess with his, uh, his fame and fortune, lost 50, he's all angry at her because he lost $54 million while he's on his private island wondering, does he have enough diesel fuel to get his yacht back to more of a landmass? Yeah. So I'm just saying to myself, <laughs> out of all the land things, that, the people listening to us right now, uh, for the most part, go out and my wages are going up 5%. Inflation is at 8.5%. Uh, can I afford to go on vacation this year if mm-hmm. everything continues to rise? Am I going to be able to get an airplane with all these cancellations? They can't even staff. So they're worried about one thing. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that should be drunk all day <laughs> because they're so worried about things. <laughs> it's am- it's amazing the rich and famous can handle oh, the so fact true. that they don't have to handle anything. It is, it is, it is so true. Um uh, and thank God the people who really have the, the real problems that you were talking about are, are the sane people, and we'll leave the craziness uh, to Hollywood. But there was just I, – I, when you talk about this trial, I always go back to something that we learned on the very first day, um, and it was a marriage counselor. They had a marriage counselor who testified and said that they engaged in mutual abuse, and she was specifically talking about emotional abuse, which was obviously true. And she also said that Amber Heard – has this jackhammer way of speaking, you know, and he couldn't keep up with it. And I remember, you know, I never really heard. Amber whoa, whoa. Heard... Their counselor took the stand. They're yeah. not supposed to talk. The the marriage counselor. Yeah. Well, she testified. Wow, I did. I I missed that. Mm-hmm. Eric, why didn't you tell me that? This was this was this was six weeks ago. This was way back in the day. We were kids. We were <laughs> we were just young and innocent right. back then. Uh, yeah, and then when um, I had never heard Amber Heard speak in an interview or do anything outside acting, and I said, I can't imagine that you know beautiful girl having a jackhammer way of speaking. But then when you do hear her testimony, you can understand. You know, she's very animated and uh, yeah, you know, just in- very intense. She seemed extremely intense. Um, and I really think that Johnny Depp. I didn't follow it a hundred percent. Um, but what I saw, uh, it, you know, Johnny Depp, scars and all, he, it, like I said, absolutely no angel, has a, drink, a drinking problem, has a drug problem, probably not somebody that you ever want to uh, get involved with, get married to. Uh, but the question was, uh, did he abuse her? And the answer, according to the jury, is no. And uh, the fact that he, she accused him of that in the Washington Post uh, they said was they the the burden of proof and the fact that she actually did that in, in a malicious way was right. proven. All right, so we'll see what happens if she's ever going to write the check. Here's she, what Mark the, could, the lawyers already said that she doesn't have the money, which isn't a surprise. Right. I mean, they're not like us. We we uh, you and I have um, for Endless rainy cash. day fund fifteen million oh, dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. very rainy day. <laughs> uh, here's Mark Gergos, the famed criminal defense attorney, on what he thinks is going to happen next. Cut thirty three. At the end of the day, there's going to be insurance companies are going to resolve this or it's going to go up on appeal. And my prediction would be that uh, some appellate justices are going to reverse this. See, 
this is the bigger question, which I'm, I'm, we're just debating on. I have one segment for this weekend for the One Nation show we have open. I, I don't know really exactly what to do with it, but I really want to talk about the end of wokeism. And also, is, is this the end of a woman is to believe regardless? That's where we were five oh, years ago. that's a great a topic, uh, is, this, is this gone for me? Well, is this the Me Too? Can I put the Me Too with woke? And can we get back to uh, stop overcompensating for everything? Question, and does this, does this say that? Yeah, um, I think it is an incredible – you have to do that segment. I think it's a really good idea. And it, it really is very interesting um, um, to think about how full circle we have come especially when it comes to the 24-hour news cycle. And I think that a lot of times people are very reactionary. And when we were in the middle of the Me Too movement, it was every single woman needed to believe. Coming out of woodwork. And now you're hearing from a lot of those same people. uh, They always always have to hone in on victim. They're now saying this proves that men can be victims of abuse too. This proves that men can be victims of emotional and psychological trauma. Um, and I think that that is a, a more balanced way of looking at right. that. But you would have never heard anybody say that two years ago. Yeah, I'm, I guess. So, yeah, meets. you're right. It is. I think it is the end of this, you know, Me Too. Overcompensation oh, yeah. for past. Where, you know, uh, every man has to walk on eggshells. And, and every woman had to do certain, act a certain way in order to be successful in the so-called man's business world. Yeah. So that's maybe the emergence in the 70s that they had to go in and start dealing with this type of um, a barbaric attitude, which need to be addressed. But it doesn't mean that it was everywhere by everybody, by every guy. There was just an overcompensation of it. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the same thing with the Black Lives Matter movement. Was there racism? Is there racism in this world? Yeah. But just because you're a white guy, you should be allowed to talk unlike Senator Hirono. Right? Do you follow me? I Mm -hmm. think think we might be sobering up to that. Senator uh, who used to be on SNL, um, who— Al Franken. Yes, I just he was out. He was destroyed by Gillibrand. Think about him. I mean, he didn't even um, really do anything wrong. Didn't didn't he just have a picture uh, where he was? uh, It's it's wrong, right? You know, but like it was from uh, from the seventies, where he had a picture where he was like pretending to touch a woman. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but it was from forty years ago when he was a no, no, that not not that far ago. uh, But it was about twenty years ago, and he was in USO tour. And he was just being uh, gaggling or whatever, so googling. Pic- what I'm trying to say is, if that picture came out today, right? I mean, it would be in the Daily Mail, and that's it. It would right. be in, you know, it would be in the New York Post, and that's it. Senator Gillibrand wouldn't career. be in tears on the foot of the stairs saying, "This has got to stop. You must resign today." Yeah, yeah. and he did. Uh, but I don't miss him. Um, yeah. I don't like him. But do we get uh, extra points for uh, defending a Democrat reaching across the aisle? Yeah, Always. Fair balance. Always, yes. yes. But I didn't know we were on a point system, but you are in a capitalist world, and it is about <laughs> winning or losing. By the way, can I say, because this is radio, so I want to – radio is the theater of the mind. I want to paint a picture. Except for on Fox Nation, then you're a theater of the <laughs> Oh, app. right, yes. Right. <laughs> it's right. the theater Did of the app. you see that monitor over there? <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Right. Um, Brian looks great. You are so tan. Really? Yes. I am half a You look so just right. full of life right You know now. what? I, I was so very happy to be outdoors. But what I would say do? that um, I was in Ponte Vedra, Florida, in, in Jacksonville area. No, I, I did sit a little bit, but you know what I also did? This was like an active tan. I'm a terrible golfer. I took lessons where you, the sun was out. You did? Terrible, yeah. And this was the first time I took a lesson, and I'm like, I kind of get it. Sometimes they just say, oh, your elbow this way, you got to do it this way. Turn your hand over. That's almost good. And I'm like, by the time I put the ball down again, what the hell did he just say? <laughs> so this, I just had the best instructor 
and I feel as though everybody I know plays, and I always go, yeah, I'll meet you at the dinner. That's I'll meet so you after, funny. but we'll see if I feel the same way. Wait, so um, really quickly. I mean, look at, like, my hand is blistering. <laughs> and then I went running on the beach. But they have these beaches that are actually firm uh-huh. and not on an angle. So you could run forever on the beach. Right, because running, like in running sand on is, sponge. Well, so running on sand is one of the most incredible workouts that you can get. Right, but not deep sand unless I'm going to go into the Marines, which could be an option. You never know. Well, listen, you're learning golf. Right. Next I, step, uh, Navy SEAL. Well, I like Long Island, why not Paris Island? Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> but about the golf thing, I think this is so funny. But do um, you golf? Uh, no. As a matter of fact, uh, I went to the driving range uh, a couple years ago with my dad for Father's Day. It was just a father-daughter event. And he's a golfer, and I he the way I was swinging the club, he's like, "You you are not my daughter. This is the opposite of a father figure. <laughs> this is so horrifying." Instead of being supportive, <laughs> he was just like, "Oh my gosh!" And my mom was there, who's the ultimate supporter, and she's like, "Just no, no, right, no, no, no." And my, I'll tell you, I have the most awkward swing, but you know why? Because I'm too muscle bound. That's the problem with having my great body. Um, as I have too many muscles, too much You're definition. You're too much of a man. Right. I was gonna, thank you for saying that, Carly. You're right. I mean, I'm, thank you for concluding that. Brian Kilmeade is too much of a man. Right. Cut that, <laughs> add it in, <laughs> wherever. Right. So, but my daughter, Kirsten, who just turned 21. Super athletic. Unbelievable. Even when she missed, she missed the ball a few times, and even the instructor goes, but your swing is perfect. And it looked good. All I had to do was adjust it, and she's... She would be like just listening two seconds, the, the, and goes back. The whip gets greater, and she oh, hit right down. Cool, that's like Jillian, Jillian Mealy. She's she's a golfer. She looks so. But she felt great natural in the right skirt away too. And the whole, right. I think I look at the outfits. again. Although we think the Me Too movement's over, I should not say that. No, right? No, that's right. Right? We, we still have no some matter lines. What, yes, exactly. Right. Good <laughs> golfer looks great it. in a skirt. <laughs> not something Brian should say. Carly A. Okay. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. Looks okay in a skirt. She, yeah, sure. That's fine. Th- well, that's almost an insult. Back in a moment. Okay. <laughs> Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thought that if you look back on the early days, what we used to think of as conservative versus liberal. Liberal was pro-free speech. People were open-minded, non-violent, you know, and people were open to other people's ideas. And the right was like suppressive, you know, nanny state, you know, condemn certain language, condemn certain behaviors. That's not the case today. Today, the left has gone so far left, so radical that the right are the ones that are celebrating comedians and celebrating Chappelle. And yeah, they had my back through all the crazy shit that happened mm-hmm. with me. It was Fox News that had my back. Would you it's, ever think that they would be the ones to cape for you, like, you know, 10 years ago? I'm so liberal. Yeah. Like, I talk I about know. it all the time. Like, I, I say I am not a conservative. I'm not conservative. But I am pro-Second Amendment. Uh-huh. And I am a hunter. And I am a cage-fighting commentator. And I, you know, and I drink and I smoke cigars and I like to bow hunt. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot in there there's that's some, like, hey. Crossover. Yeah. But it's just being a human. But I'm a compassionate person. So, uh, Carly, with uh, Carly Shimkus is here. Was this played a lot all this week? That soundbite. Uh, we played it on Fox and Friends first. yesterday. Yeah, you played it on Fox and Friends. Or first? Fox and Friends. What's your thought I, on it? Uh, I love Joe Rogan's podcast, um, uh, and I, I completely understand where he's coming from with the comedy thing. Uh, he's right. 
uh, it used to be that, I guess from his perspective, he would view the Republican Party as uptight and you can't tell jokes. And and now it is com- it is the complete reverse. It's unbelievable. It is amazing, this arc that has occurred. And the freedom of speech. I mean, that used to be like a core tenet of liberalism and um, something that would happen that, that was championed on college campuses. And it is the exact opposite. Now they shut you down. You want a conservative? Don't come to a college campus. We're going to shout you down. I know. There are so many crazy examples. Um, There are microaggressions. And there was a debate over – it was a debate at Yale that ended up getting stormed by protesters. And there was a conservative and a Democrat. Remember when this happened? And then then all of these Yale law students that you're you're going to school to be – uh, a lawyer where you debate the other side and they couldn't take the freedom of speech because they are so they, – they can't – Well, you know, they it's unbelievable. How, well, with Joe Rogan in particular, they tried to shut him down. He admitted he used the N-word. He said, I shouldn't have done that. It was in different context, different time. I'm moving on. And then Neil Young comes out and this other artist come out to stop him. Mm-hmm. You know what he ended up with? Two million more followers. That's right. So he ended up being more famous, more in the news. Keep coming. I know. Yeah. And Spotify stood by him, and then Netflix is standing up to their yeah. woke people. I know. If you don't like it and don't want to get a project, you can leave. Yeah, I do think that there is a, a, a shift happening. I don't think it's going to be – there's always going to be this this wokeness in the corporate world now. Um, and then there are people like Vivek Ramaswamy who have like now made it their life mission to fight back against that. I think it's always going to be there, but especially with Netflix and what they said about mm-hmm. if you don't like the shows that we're putting out, then maybe this isn't the right place to work. That should be the mantra for every single company now. And you just reminded me, I need a life mission, and so do you. Okay, right? Right. Because well, Vivek yours has- is to learn golf. It's my life mission? <laughs> well, I could say that's a short-term goal. Okay, We fine. have to talk about what I mean by mission. Uh, it's got to happen next week. Thanks, Carly. Now watch this drive. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Uh, thrilled to be back at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Continue to add affiliates. And we're thrilled about that. Special thanks to everyone in Jacksonville WOKV for hosting me uh, for the last two days. But I'm back in action here uh, where I walked in and they said, you're going to be delayed on your flight. I'm thinking to myself, it's beautiful in uh, New York. It's beautiful in Jacksonville. Is this going to be one of those we don't have a crew, we're just afraid to tell you things? But by the time I landed, it was the weather was so terrible last night. They were trying to do a timing thing. It was pretty bad in New York, and it's kind of overcast today. But I'm just so glad we're not in the middle of winter. Uh, I'm going to get to Mark Thiessen in a moment. At the bottom of the hour, Billy Bush is going to join us. Uh, host, he's a TV, uh, you know, he hosts Extra. Great host. By the way, he's a great radio guy. That's the first time I heard of Billy Bush and uh, was on radio. We used to do stuff with him on Fox. We used to go to the radio stations, different morning shows around the country when Fox and Friends first started. I will get to him and talk about this Johnny Depp trial. I won't burden Mark Teeson with that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I was not surprised at all that they awarded Johnny Depp what they awarded him and found essentially in his favor. But I was surprised that they threw Amber Heard the small bone that they did. However, that is a good thing because it does show that they were careful, that they were methodic. Uh, That was one of the many lawyers who were shocked by the Depp Heard verdict. It looks like Johnny Depp's going to get... 
$13 million from Amber Heard for not marrying her anymore. And Amber Heard's going to get $2 million. Both, if you look at any part of that trial, should be humiliated. But somehow I believe that Johnny Depp is going to come out even richer. Unbelievable. Number two. Are you confident Congress will take action on gun legislation, sir? I served in Congress for, Congress for 36 years. I'm never confident. Totally. <laughs> it depends. And I don't know. I've not been on the negotiations as they're going on right now. All right, uh, President Biden, uh, the House is moving, the Senate is zooming. We wait and see if a gun legislation deal will somehow be reached. And the consensus is these attacks are due to poor mental health, problems with security in our schools, in our streets. Will any of what they come up with solve any of those problems? Number one. Look, I'm an optimist. You know, I, I, I said there's storm clouds. There are big storm clouds. There. It's a hurricane. Right now, it's kind of sunny. Things are doing fine. You know, everyone thinks the, the Fed can handle this. That hurricane is right out there down the road coming our way. Uh, That is Jamie Dimon, not just anybody. Retirements, vacations, new car purchases put on hold as our economy is rocked by challenges. Jamie Dimon, you just heard, says hold on tight for an economic hurricane. Uh, What about that? And what about President Biden saying he had no idea about the baby formula problem that is this catastrophic until April? Too bad the people he was on the phone with, on the Zoom call with, to show how on top of it he is, were all baby formula manufacturers who said, we told everybody in January this was about to occur. Uh, Joining me right now is Mark Thiessen. Mark, the President of the United States, nobody wrote this up. He decides to get all the major baby formula manufacturers on a call. And he wants to tell them we're bringing in uh, formula from Australia, from France, from Mexico. Look how good I'm doing. And they said, nobody could have foreseen this. And they said, excuse me, uh, we told everybody this. Bashir, the Health and Human Services Secretary, should have known it. Everybody should have known this. How is he getting a pass on this, Mark? So, first of all, the the whistleblower notified the FDA in October. Yep. And the FDA didn't do anything until February. The FDA uh, knew this was going to be this bad, the by the way. Yeah. So the FDA, this is just another, you know, COVID, if COVID wasn't bad enough, this is just another failure of the FDA. Then Biden didn't know until April, and they didn't take any steps like allowing uh, imports or other things until May. I mean, it's, it's sheer incompetence. But I'll tell you, Brian, it's worse than that, because as incompetent as the Biden administration's response has been, that's actually not the reason why we have a baby formula shortage. The reason we have a baby formula shortage is because we have a Soviet style system of regulation for baby formula. Baby formula is food, right? It, it's not rocket science to produce this. It, it, it's, it's protein, it's vegetable oils, it's minerals and vitamins put together in a formula. This is, it is not a vaccine. It's not the COVID vaccine. It's not an immunotherapy, but the government regulates it like, like it's a pharmaceutical product, like it's a vaccine of some kind. It costs tens of millions of dollars in clinical trials to bring a new, uh, a new baby formula uh, onto the market. And so the result is he, he said he had all the baby manufacturer, formula manufacturers. Two companies control 80 percent of the baby formula market in this country. That's like the Soviet Union. Why, why is that? There's no free market competition. You can't. You can't. The first, just now we just had this uh, two months ago. The first new entrant in the baby formula market, a, a company called Byheart, it took them 190 million dollars and five years to get approval to start production of a new baby formula. Now, if I'm you want sorry. a legit, if you want a legitimate issue of why run for office, you explain it to the American people the way you just did. You'll get a lot of support. 
not just for baby formula, but for other things that you could point out where the game is rigged by these major companies who are looking to make sure they all profit. I'm going to give you some examples of what took place. When the whistleblower comes up, they write the letter. It stays on the, gets caught in the mailroom until December. By the time they read it, take action on it. Uh, it is the new year. By February, they go to Abbott Labs and they say two kids have died. And they look back and they go, where did they come from? Abbott Labs. They look around and say, this place is a message shut down. At which time, the um, uh, multi-baby form manufacturer told Biden that they knew that shutting down the Abbott Labs uh, in February would lead to short shortages. All the executives warned the FDA about it. Now, did the FDA tell anybody about it? If they didn't, it's sinful. But if they, even if they did do that, there's got to be the Health and Human Services Secretary say, what did you just do? Did you just shut down the Sturgis lab that covers 40% of our baby manufacturing? Isn't that a problem? So this is what Murray Kessler says, the CEO of Pergio Company. Pergio Company says, we knew from the very beginning this would be a very serious event. Okay. So Ricketts, we knew from the very beginning that this had to be taken seriously. So he was on one of those gratuitous photo op-like interactions where he's supposed to impress them with what he's doing. And he ends up getting the reality check. And he gets embarrassed. No one told him until April. He so, says. Um, so, but Brian, imagine insta- if instead of this, if this wasn't instead of baby formula, this was baby food. Right. So baby formula, two manufacturers, 80 percent of the production, as you pointed out, that one plant, 40 percent of all baby formula comes from that one plant. Imagine if instead there there are when you go to baby. So that's the food you give babies for the first six months of their lives exclusively at six months. We start giving them strained peas and pureed banana and, and, you know, and uh, ham and gravy that's a pureed. There are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of manufacturers who make those products. Gerber, uh, you know, Nature's Own. Sure. You, you could name the list of them, right? If one factory shut down, we wouldn't have bare store shelves because there are dozens of other companies making the same stuff. Why is the food that we put in our babies in the first six of the months of their life treated like a pharmaceutical product, but at six months it's okay to put in Stuff that's treated like regular food. Fascinating. It, it, it makes no sense at all. So what this is, this is a – and then it gets worse, Brian, because then there's the WIC program, right? The government is the largest purchaser of, 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 uh, of baby formula. And the way they do it, every state negotiates an exclusive contract with one manufacturer. They give them a monopoly in that state. And so that reduces competition as well, because if you can't get the government contract, you can't you can't sell baby formula and that thing. So we are literally distorting the market. This is the this is a story of big government and big business colluding to create a monopoly right. that has produced Soviet style short, uh, bare shelves in our in our in our stores. And the Biden administration wants to take the model that we have on baby formula and apply it to every other part of the economy. They want they want they want, they want to socialize our economy and create government government winners and losers. And this is what they want to do to the rest of our economy. This is what socialism is. We have a socialist system for baby formula, and that's why you have socialist-style bare shelves today. So I was listening to The Daily, The New York Times, and they stay out of the controversial stuff, but factually it's really interesting. And they said that it turns out when they did analysis of these two kids that passed away, sadly, they can't pull it back to the baby formula. It was other things. So they can't even pull it back to the Sturgis lab. They don't even know if formula had anything to do with it. 
So that's why the FDA goes out and goes, I'm tired of this. You're shut down. Now, listen to this. By the way, you know more details about this than anyone in the country. So congratulations. I mean, there's nothing you can – you don't come up with. I'm writing, a, I'm writing a column on it literally today, right? As we're so the spokesman for so, – so when this happens, the spokesperson for two of the five infant formula manufacturers explicitly said they recognized from the start how huge a problem this was. And they eventually went and they became – they took action. And he goes, we, we went ahead – and we called retail partners like Target and Walmart immediately to warn them to start troubleshooting available inventory to ensure they can get what they had on their shelves. From the very beginning, we did when we first heard about the Abbott recall, we could foresee this was going to create a tremendous shortage because they know this is going to hurt their monopoly, too, if this happens. Now, the yep. most amazing thing. You ready for this? Yep. When the president is talking to these baby manufacturers, obviously a communications disaster that nobody's writing up today. This would be screaming news. CNN wouldn't have taken a break. The Queen would have taught. We wouldn't have covered the Queen today. Or they wouldn't have covered the Queen today if this was happening. Corinne Jean-Pierre says she was not watching. So she had no idea what the president said about this at all. She goes, I had it on in my office, but I wasn't really watching. Do you believe this? It the the it's the the confluence of incompetence and uh, and big government um, and you know again like you know I've, I'm perfectly fine with the government having monopoly on the use of force in the military they should not there should not be a government monopoly uh, driven by in the baby formula business it just right, shouldn't be you know the the it, it, you've seen stories it's happened like for example that we've had like a meat plant that gets shut down sure. because of, because of the bacterial infections all that we don't have operation fly meat <laughs> government planes he wants to credit countries to bring meat into the country you don't have burger king shutting down because you can't get your burger because one beef factory shut down this is a just government level distortion and this is what people are missing in the whole thing it's absolutely true that the biden administration's response has been incompetent but this is a bigger problem it is the, it is big government run amok and this is the model that Bernie Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez and the Biden administration socialists want to bring to the rest of our economy. This is the model for the right. future. You think that you, you, what's going to happen when we do when we do this with with cars and electric cars and other things like that? I mean, it's just every every aspect of the economy they want to remake in the image of the baby formula industry. And it's, and it's going to be a disaster. So the NBC report had about seven reporters on it that said the the Biden administration is a mess. The president is, is angry at the communications uh, division for walking back That's everything he says, right? Communications. And the communications division <laughs> says, well, we check every time we walk it back, we always check it with him first. And they talk about how frustrating it is his approval ratings below what Donald Trump was. He can't believe how unlucky it is and how unappreciative people are. So now that we have uh, the labor costs up 12.4 percent, this just came out, uh, $11.4 million jobs opening, productivity down 7.5 percent. So we know what's going on with inflation and we know what's going on with interest rates. President Biden is to say, I am not responsible. The Fed is responsible for inflation. I'm responsible for bringing down the deficit, he claims. Here is, here's what the president also says he would prefer to do. And you're not going to believe it. Cut to. There's a lot going on uh, right now. But the idea we're going to be able to, you know, click a switch bring down the cost of gasoline is not likely in the near term, nor is it with regard to food. But here's one thing we can do. Look, I'll talk about this a little bit tomorrow, and I'm going to stop. We can do that at the same time by increasing 
the tax rate that should go up on some corporations that are paying no taxes at all, have a min pay minimum tax, and the very wealthy. No one under 400 grand would have to pay another single penny in taxes, but it would not be inflationary. It would help pay for it, reduce the deficit even further, and it would provide relief for families. So he believes raising corporate tax rates and raising the taxes on the 694 billionaires in this country is going to help with inflation. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. I mean, first of all, the businesses can't find workers. We have the, the, the largest labor shortage in American history, 11.5 million unfilled jobs in this country. And, and businesses are desperately trying to raise, raise pay so that they can attract or find people to come into work. And on top of that, you're going to throw a tax increase on them on top of that. Those, those, that's already a tax increase. Inflation is a tax increase. He says he, he won't raise taxes on anyone like less than $400,000. What do you call $5 gas? The <laughs> yeah. inflation is a is a, is a is a middle class and lower class uh, for, for regressive tax increase. And I'll tell you something, Brian. Tomorrow is Joe Biden's 500th day in office. We now know he is the least popular president in American history at the 500-day mark of his presidency in the history of recorded polling, from Donald Trump to Harry Truman. No president has been this unpopular at the 500th day of uh, of, of his presidency. It's, it's because of stuff like that. You know, raising taxes and then spending more money. That's their solution to everything. That's what caused the inflation. It was the one point nine trillion dollar social spending disguised as COVID relief, which overheated the demand side of the economy and the supply side can't keep up, which leads to higher prices and and shortages. And they want to do more. Mark, I never have enough time for you, but I'll be talking to you on One Nation this weekend. Right. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Right. So a couple of things will be I close out with. He's doing this with this uh, remarkably unpopular streak with a compliant press. Ninety-seven percent of the press just ignores his mistakes and pretends he's competent. But the good news is Twitter, which will soon be owned by Elon Musk, hopefully, hashtag Biden is a failure is trending. Uh, thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. one 408 7669. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to come back with your calls. And then Billy Bush joins me to tell me what the fascination with the Depp Amber Heard trial was all about. From Hollywood, don't move. A radio show of the people, for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Have and an we're opportunity going, oh, and sure, and we're, to explain we're gonna, yourself to the parents. And just so you know, we're going we're gonna to do that eventually, obviously. Right. And whenever this is done, let the, the families quit grieving, then we'll do that, obviously. And just so, we have, just so everybody, and just so everybody, just so everybody feels. knows, we've been in contact with EPS every day, just so you all know. They say, you're every not, day. They say that you're not cooperating. I've, I've been on the phone with them every day. But they so you say you're know. not cooperating. So that was CNN reporter who confronted the uh, police chief. And he says he's on conversations, but doesn't mean he's cooperating. That's going to be key. We found out yesterday a bunch of things. Number one, one of the, uh, the school police officers was on the outside, and he was talking to his wife, now deceased, one of the teachers that was shot and killed. She was still alive, and they were having a conversation, and she was describing what was going on. The question is, did that police officer walk over and say, my wife is there, she's clinging to life, we need to get inside? 
because right now no one has dis- dis- disabused me of the fact that it looks like the police chief at Uvalde was didn't even have a radio. But for some reason, he was holding everybody back. And they listened. Even Bortek, they finally, I did not know this. They did not say this originally. Number one, they said this is wrong. The teacher left the door open. That's not true. The teacher left it open, but they didn't walk through it. They closed, but it didn't lock. That's the problem. Number two is that they held Bortek back, the special operators from the Border Patrol back. And they just said, the hell with this. We're not waiting anymore. They grabbed the shield from the marshals and then went in, I think, at least, you know, 10 deep. They took the guy out. Clearly one of the worst decisions in the history of law enforcement. You know how I know it's bad? Because law enforcement's critical of it. It's not a bunch of civilians saying I could have done better. It's the trained people saying they should have done better, including the Texas Rangers. Got to learn from this. Billy Bush is next on Top Gun and Johnny Depp. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. He just kicked me in the back. And he starts punching the, the wall next to my head. He knows he's lying. Otherwise, why can't he look at me? I think that I ended up locking myself in about at, le- at least nine bedrooms, bathrooms that day. Um, as she was banging on the doors and screaming obscenities and wanting to uh, have a physical altercation. Uh, what was it about this trial in particular that had everybody transfixed, even people at all walks of life, blue collar to white collar to middle class? Like, yeah, what is, what's going on with that trial? How's this going to end? What, what a train wreck. Billy Bush puts it all in perspective. He's seen the best and worst of Hollywood on a daily basis and reports on it, and no one's better at it. He's the host of Extra, and he, he's with us right now. Billy, welcome back to the medium I first met you in. Uh, yeah, the greatest medium of all, right? I mean, you were doing the morning show in Washington, right? I was doing, uh, uh, this station was Z104 and uh, a morning drive uh, program. Yeah, it was fun. That's my first love. I still love it. And we used to do the simulcast on Fox and Friends. But, you know, we've seen a lot of Hollywood stories that become major news stories. uh, And then we've seen a lot of Hollywood get overwhelmed for a while, go on hold for two years with the pandemic. What was it about this trial that seemed to get beyond California where you are and everybody talking about it around the country. Well, I knew it would from the very beginning. I said, you know, we, 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 we got our ducks in a row ahead of time. I said, this is going to lead our show every night, folks. So <laughs> let's get in position. And sure enough, it led our show every night and got more and more fascinating. I think many components. One for me is celebrities are so afraid, to, like everyone else, to say anything, the truth because the truth might, you know, be against the grain for some type of established narrative. And therefore, you may get not just bullied or repudiated online, you may lose your life, your house and your career. So celebrities have gotten tight. It's a boring world for me and what I do interviewing them some, you know, because they don't say anything. They get publicists and they'll put their own message out on Instagram. And when you interview them, almost every time when you walk out of the room, there's a publicist saying, oh, hey, can you scrap that, please? Or we'll never do business with you again. Thank you so much. You know, these heavy handed things. And all of a sudden, here is a celebrity of the highest order, Johnny Depp, going to the mat. And every personal detail of his life, including that whatever in his bed, 
was shared with the public, who consumed it. I mean, they ravished it. And I uh, and I get it. Drugs, alcohol. There's other things. Right. I mean, 15 million. He's going to get. Uh, I guess she gets two million because some uh, some of the things that his lawyers have said. Uh, Amber Heard. Most people walked around saying she's totally unlikable. You know, non Hollywood people. Who is this woman? Totally unlikable. We think she's lying. And Johnny Depp seems to get compassion. What do you think? Is is there something about him? Have you met him? Well, is something about his character yeah. that he plays or is that people kind of like him despite some of this behavior. I think he's actually quite transparent. I think he's one of those people you know, that folks connect with because what you see is what you get, right? That swaggering charm, that, hello there, darling, how are you? <laughs> Into the next room. He's sort of got a Richard Burton quality without the violence, I think. He's got the, the drinker and the... And the but every, the problem is everyone that ever dated him, they could only find Ellen Barkin to come out and say he was jealous. He threw a wine bottle. Was it at you? No, it was across the room uh, at a friend. So he had a drunken little row with a buddy in a room. But every other woman involved in his life had nothing but great things to say. And Kate Moss, of course, delivers in the end and says that, you know, the incident Amber cited of him going down the stairs was absolutely not true. Johnny was always a gentleman. He tended to me, blah, blah, blah. But the other thing that's interesting is you said women. Women tanked Amber Heard because women, many, have had enough. And they're sitting there going, hold on. You, if you lie once, it's, can, it's possible that, you know, it's very believable you could have lied many, many times. And she certainly got caught in more than one lie. That was a problem. And she thought, my movie's opening shortly. Uh, my new friends at, at the ACLU are going to write this op-ed for me. And I'm going to sail to a position of martyrdom. I'm a heroine of some kind. I mean, you could, you could see the jury sort of feeling this. And I think with people in the public, especially women, said, oh, no, 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 no. You cannot do that to a man or to a human being. You know, there's a thing called toxic humanity. I've never heard it, but let's call it that. There are good people and there are, you know, nefarious people. And actually, good people do terrible things sometimes. It's called being human. But in this case, they snuffed out what they saw. They didn't just rule against Amber Heard and rule for Johnny. They said to her, she is maliciously lying she, to promote herself and her career. I mean, they could not have been more definitive. Yeah. Jury. There was no hemming and hawing. Only three days of deliberation to deliver a full roundhouse. Wallop, over, case done. So Mark Gergos doesn't think it is done. Listen to what the famed attorney said. Cut 33. At the end of the day, there's going to be insurance companies are going to resolve this or it's going to go up on appeal. And my prediction would be that uh, some appellate justices are going to reverse this. I mean, uh, Billy, you might be a lawyer. Are you a lawyer? I'm not a lawyer. But uh, I'm interested. I'm a curious person. (laughs) Uh, Yes. uh, So, I mean, I think Gary goes to it. He would know more about that. uh, I think if there's an appeal. That probably will be, because once you're in that far, I mean, it's only been six years of your life. You might as well just keep going. Uh, and Garrigo sounds like he's auditioning for the job because Amber's lawyers weren't very good. I mean, in fact, in the closing argument, Rosengarten, I can't remember his name exactly, uh, her, her main lawyer was like, hey, he kind of backed it down and said, if she was abused, if you believe she was abused once, just once, that's all it takes. He was basically saying, 
Can you give me one? If you give me one, then you give it to me and you give all. And they said, no. <laughs> nice try. Right. He seemed to be trying to cut a deal. You know what I mean? So, so right now, but, Billy, on, that's true. So having the trial right now, do you think Johnny Depp is going to get offers? Do you think Amber Heard will get offers? Yeah. Well, there's a word out there that Beetlejuice 2, the sequel, is coming. And, you know, Johnny has a long-established relationship with Tim Burton, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka, Alice in Wonderland, uh, and that Johnny will be part of that um, movie. So there's a big box office movie. Yesterday, two days ago, report that Amber was uh, had deals to do uh, two movies. With one, she plays a psychiatrist in the 1890s. I think it's called In the Room. And another one, uh, she plays maybe it's a model who is under attack from right. a serial killer, something like that. Not big movies, but we'll see. The, uh, Amber's biggest problem, of course, is that there's a petition with five million signatures to have her completely removed from Aquaman 2, which comes out in 2023. She's already had her role cut down, but five million people want her out of the movie. Look, I don't like this barbarism thing. I don't like it in this way when the people who are vindicated and feel like the Me Too movement went off the rails and yep. believe her and all these things went off the rails. And yeah, here we go. Calm down. Like the, listen, folks, our life is lived in the middle. Our life is gray. Everything about us, flawed human beings, is gray. We have a criminal justice system for things that need to be handled in that way. But some compassion here. Look, I feel for Amber Heard when, when, you know, Shannon Curry, the psychiatrist for Johnny Depp, gets on the stand and says she has histrionic. I've spent 23 hours with her. She has histrionic disorder and bipolar disorder. I think I got those two right, but it's a combination of some kind yeah. of thing. If that's the case and she got swept up in this, do I want to see her stamped out and, ha-ha, we got her? No. You know, Johnny's been vindicated. He got what he wanted. I don't, if I, if Johnny Depp is the guy that I think he is, I don't think he goes to, you know, finish her off in some kind of angry way. Yeah. I think he says, thank you. I got my life back. I can smell the big checks coming in again. They will. And I'm not here to rub your face in it. I'm here because I, it's time to defend myself. And I think people admire a person who is, if they're innocent, defend yourself. Don't just squirrel into a hole because, you know, there's people at the gates. So, so if you're right. Billy Bush, our guest. Billy, yeah. so what you just said, I appreciate. We're in a gray area. Having said that, do you think we're approaching the post-woke world and the post-Me Too world in more of a mod- modulated world where we overreacted to things that might have been uh, shown inequity? But do you think we're coming out of it now when you see the Bill Mars of the world saying, Hey, folks, what's going on here? Joe Rogan, not a righty, go, what is wrong with this going on uh, over here on the left? Bill Maher saying, I don't recognize my party anymore. And I also think the extremes on the right the same way. Do you think we're getting to that post-woke world? Uh, I certainly hope so. Um, But let's keep in mind, like, I like to think at the heart, look, if you it's your political view, if you're uh, a center-right person, you think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a nut. But underneath it all, she believes something. There is a set of principles that she devoutly believes in. She's not an evil operator who's trying to maliciously, you know, tear down the government and make it socialist. It, I mean, 
people have at the what I'm saying is the Me Too movement has integrity at the heart of it. It has good intentions at the heart of it. I think every woman would agree with that, and I agree with that. That said, in anything, you know, it can get ego. It can get carried away. Any movement, any moment in our, you know, and yeah. we go through it all the time. Uh, but and, it, and, of course, there's a correction. Let's hope they don't uh, ruin too many more lives before that correction kicks in. I really believe that uh, we're getting to that, uh, the post-war world, uh, where more logic gets in. And I think a little bit has to do with we actually agree on something. We're looking at the Russia-Ukraine war, and we agree who the good guys are and the bad guys are, and we're helping yeah. them. And both Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals are going, yeah, I really I feel for these people. And they're fighting for what we take for granted, and that's freedom. And I think it's helping but, you know, we, we don't know. Let's talk about something more positive. Finally, a reason to go back to the theater because of this movie. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, a.k.a. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. just want to manage expectations. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. And the and there you and go. The Oscar for mu- the Oscar for musical score and cinematography goes to Larry McDaniel's and Phil whoever I don't know. I made up the name. <laughs> ah. Let me tell you that sweeping. Uh, music, oh, symphonic and soaring, and, and, and the great lines, it's patriotic, it's beautiful, we all needed it, we all wanted it. Oh, man, is it great. You, so, it was a reason to go back to the theater. The theater's not dead, Billy Bush. Are we, can we say that? No Does way. Tom Cruise show that? We have, listen, I don't know about you, but I, look what you're seeing, you, you, I believe you're in New York, so you're seeing it. Like my mom, 82, just just got over COVID a second ago. Uh, it was her second time. Um, she's been boosted back to everything. Uh, my uh, agent, who I was talking to last night, great guy, absolutely just crushed by COVID for the second time. It's out there, except what's not out there is the fear. We have found the gray area of that. We have faith and belief that we can, we can live with it. So, no, I don't think we'll ever shut down like that again. I don't think the theaters will be closed. I think people will have no hesitation going. I'm getting on a plane this afternoon. You know, I think that's over. And Top Gun is a great reason to get into the movie theaters. Is it great? Oh, I mean, listen, we got an extra. Remember, they sent us the first trailer, and it was over a year ago. And everybody went, whoa, look at those aerials. Seeing Tom Cruise back in the cockpit gives everybody a warm feeling. I mean, it's the biggest opening of Tom Cruise's career, and he opens big. Yeah. $156 million, biggest Memorial Day weekend opening ever, biggest for Tom ever. And, uh, by the way, you're going to walk out loving Tom. You're also going to be loving Miles Teller, a.k.a. Rooster, son of Goose. He's right. a huge star. Billy Bush, you, you heard it here first. You've really adapted this whole Hollywood thing. The cinematog- You know the names of the cinematographer almost and even directors? That's big. Brian, Brian, I made it up. Brian, I made it up. My, 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 <laughs> okay. my default name always when I'm telling a story is Larry. 
So this guy walks in, Larry, and he says, but he's just the default name. When you, when you need one, it's Larry. Got it. Hey, Billy, thanks so much. We we'll hope we do this again. Um, uh, great to hear from you and uh, watch you on the show. You, you're better than ever. Billy Bush, thanks so much on Extra. Okay, babe. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. And by the way, he's up early because I was texting him probably at 5.30 his time. He's like, I'm up. So that's who he's probably working out. When we come back, I'll take some more calls. That was Billy Bush, Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy. So this big push for President Biden to say, yeah, inflation's the fault of the Fed, and my Treasury Secretary was wrong to predict it was transitory, even though that's what Joe Biden said. It continues. And the press secretary is desperately trying to get some skills and knowledge who is supposed to be able to spin her way out of this and talk about how the president relies on the Treasury secretary who admitted she's wrong. Listen to Corinne Jean-Pierre with Peter Ducey. Cut four. The Treasury secretary says that she was wrong, but the White House was not wrong. The president has consistently noted that the primary drivers of inflation are the pandemic and Putin's invasion of Ukraine. The twists and turns of both these monumental events have affected energy prices and also food prices that we have seen these past several months. This is Putin's price hike, which the president refers to, and that is what Secretary Yellen was referring to. If you if you read the entire transcript, and that's what I'm I'm trying to say to you. Right. Uh, so she first she would not admit it, and then she comes out and says. That is the primary driver of inflation. The primary driver of inflation, according to Larry Summers, was $1.9 trillion on top of the $800 billion that, put, that Trump put in the system to an economy that had been recovering. Yeah, the whole world is suffering on supply chain, but we have not made the adjustments. You can't tell me that we have. And for those people looking for hope, don't look to Jamie Dimon. Cut six. Look, I'm an optimist. You know, I, I, I said there's storm clouds. There are big storm clouds. There. It's a hurricane. It's we, right now. It's kind of sunny. Things are doing fine. You know, everyone thinks the, the Fed can handle this. That hurricane is right out there down the road coming our way. We just don't know if it's a minor one or Superstorm Sandy or uh, yeah, Sandy or or uh, Andrew or something like that. And it's you, you better brace yourself. <laughs> Didn't love hearing that. J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon. Uh, if he had more business people around him, I think the president would be, be much, much, much better off. But he seems totally isolated. And his own communications team, too, seem to have turned on him, according to him and NBC. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget, One Nation, Saturday night, 8 and 11. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. You know, Queen Elizabeth has her big platinum jubilee. People are loving it, and we're covering it, and that's great, but I'm happy to be with you riding the news because there's so much else to cover. Meanwhile, the vice president today will announce the U.S. Department of Education plans to cancel all remaining federal student loans for borrowers that attended Corinthian colleges. Evidently, it was a big scam, but it's just the beginning. Uh, Watch. They're going to look to forgive these student loans in the hope of regaining the youth vote. And I think it's terrible because we have a deal in society. You take out a loan. You pay the loan. That's the covenant. I do believe the interest rates are too high, 7%. Are you kidding me? Parental loans, student loans, I get it. But if you want to work on the rate, you'll get some people in support of you. But the people, most of which are listening to me now, that took out student loans to afford college, middle class people, they're not too happy today. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. I was not surprised at all that they awarded Johnny Depp, but they awarded him and found essentially in his favor. But I was surprised that they threw Amber Heard the small bone that they did. However, that is a good thing because it does show that they were careful, that they were methodic. Yeah, uh, what a trial, right? Uh, that was one of these lawyers who weighed in on the Depp versus Heard. Depp prevails and the Amber must pay the price, specifically $15 million in a trial that made me so glad I am not a movie star. But America cannot get enough of it. Depp leaves with a career in place. The Amber leaves hers disgraced. A liar, a loser, and she's got to find $13 million to pay her ex. Uh, yeah, the boozy, broody, slimy pirate. Number two. Are you confident Congress will take action on gun legislation, sir? I served in Congress for, Congress for 36 years. I'm never confident. Totally. <laughs> it depends. And I don't know. I've not been on the negotiations as they're going on right now. Yeah, here we go. The House is moving on legislation. The Senate's Zooming talking about it. Let's wait and see if a gun legislation deal will somehow be reached. And if so, will it make anything better? Will it attack the problem or only look to punish good, responsible gun owners? Meanwhile, we'll follow the investigation in Uvalde. Number one. Look, I'm an optimist. You know, I, I, I said there's storm clouds. There are big storm clouds. There. It's a hurricane. Right now, it's kind of sunny. Things are doing fine. You know, everyone thinks the, the Fed can handle this. That hurricane is right out there down the road coming our way. He's an optimist? That's Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan Chase. He got retirements, vacations, new car purchases put on hold as our economy is rocked by challenges. Dimon says hold on tight for an economic hurricane, but leaders speak out about what they are seeing. And the president says not his fault. He can't help. And when it comes to the catastrophic disappearance of baby formula, Joe just didn't know about it. Problem is... They were told about it. The FDA knew about it. These companies knew about it. And kids right now have to scramble. Parents have to scramble to get their infant's baby formula. And the president's bragging that he got some in from Australia. Really? That is not something to brag about. Yesterday, the president gets on a Zoom call with these baby formula operators. There's only a handful of them. At which time he expected to get some praise from them because he's doing things to bring formula in. It's landing in Indiana, 2.7 million. Whatever it is, it's not enough. They waited too long. The whistleblowers, October, December, they read the letter. The FDA goes out to Sturgis. They see some problems in Sturgis. Babies sadly pass away, two of them. They say, we got to shut this thing down. And it was so obvious to the operators that if you shut down this operation on baby formula, that there's going to be issues. In fact, 
uh, the CEO of, uh, of Rackets, his name is Robert Cleveland, said this quote, we knew from the very beginning this would be a very serious event. He said this company reached out to retail partners like Target and Walmart immediately to warn them to start troubleshooting available inventory to ensure they could get formula onto their shelves. This was right away. Also, a multiple baby form manufacturers told Biden they knew that shutting down the Abbott Lab in February would lead to shortages, and they warned the FDA to do it, that if you shut this down, the ramifications are catastrophic. And if you have to shut it down because you think babies going to get killed if they have this stuff, you have to make sure that it's up and done and passed inspection in a short amount of time. Just shutting something down and putting a, you know, putting a lock on the door is not going to help when only four companies make this stuff. It seems pretty obvious. But the President of the United States is still trying to get away with saying, I could not have known, I would not have known. And don't look at him in the big picture. That is just not the story. That's, you might say the Health and Human Services Secretary didn't tell me, and you're fired. How's about, how about that? Newt Gingrich weighed in on what he's seeing from the outside. Cut 14. He cares more about taking care of illegal immigrants than he does about taking care of Americans. And the result is the federal government was competing for baby formula to take care of illegal immigrants against Americans who couldn't find the baby formula. So you go down this list, and it's, it's not a problem of performance. It's a problem of core big government socialist values that are antithetical to the American future and to the average American. It's a, it's a genuine crisis of the system. And then NBC does this report that he's upset about all these things going wrong, getting blamed for it, and he's upset that his communications division keeps walking back every extempor- extempor- extemporaneous statement that he makes. Really? You're mad at them, not even at the press? Of course. You, why would you be mad at the press? The press is firmly in your camp. Right now, is a real clear average is 37.5%. That is terrible. Uh, Emerson is a little lower. Uh, you got a CNN poll that has him in the 40s. Bottom line is he's not doing well, and he knows it. And the, the numbers don't lie. Labor costs are up 12%. Productivity down 7.5%. Inflation up to a, a 40-year high, 8.5%. We got 11 million jobs open. And the president says, well, the deficit's going down. Well, the deficit's going down because we're not printing money and putting it into the system since the $1.9 trillion that you put out there. But what you did do is fail and build back better, and you think that is the problem. He actually believes that if we up taxes, that'll be the issue. Reagan did the exact opposite, cut taxes and flooded the market with supplies, keeping prices low. I know every era, every problem is a little different, but we know this. We don't want to go back to putting the screws to corporations. I did not think. Here's Joe Biden on that. Cut three. We can do that at the same time by increasing the tax rate that should go up on some corporations that are paying no taxes at all, have a min- pay a minimum tax, and the very wealthy. No one under 400 grand would have to pay another single penny in taxes, but it would not be inflationary. It would help pay for it, reduce the deficit even further, and it would provide relief for families. Listen, he wasn't a great law student. Every time he talks about the law, the Constitution, he seems to be wrong. Latest example. When America was born, the Second Amendment was uh, ratified, 1791. Couldn't buy a cannon. Totally not true. Washington Post keeps telling him. Says it's not true. Okay, he keeps doing that. 
And then he gets on the idea that I'm just going to go with the knee-jerk reaction. The problem is the rich don't pay enough. With nothing to do with revenue. We're not having a revenue problem. We're having a supply chain problem. Uh, we're having people we cannot. We have a labor problem. But I don't really believe that taxing rich people is going to do anything. And everybody says it is. In fact, Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, who writes nothing but glowing things about you, basically says that. You have a press secretary that can't even get your message out. One thing about Jen Psaki, she would actually lead the charge and be able to spot problems on the fly. I'm not seeing that. This woman I cannot see holding on to this job for too much longer. For the president of the United States, when he speaks off the cuff, which is very rare, I think he hasn't done an interview in 60 days. Can you imagine not doing an interview in 60 days? They say, well, the president's available when he walks in and out. He's always, no, you're not, not available. Most of his press availabilities are not press availabilities. They end up bringing spray situations. So here is uh, President Biden on everything I just mentioned. Um, what we're dealing with supply chain, we're dealing with, uh, we're, we're dealing with the uh, inflation, we're, we're dealing with high gas prices. Cut to. There's a lot going on uh, right now, but the idea we're going to be able to, you know, click a switch, bring down the cost of gasoline is not likely in the near term, nor is it with regard to food. But here's one thing we can do. Look, I'll talk about this a little bit tomorrow, and I'm going to stop. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you're not going to talk about it tomorrow. And if you do come up, it's going to be a written speech that someone else wrote to you. You're going to squint your way through it. I'm going to wonder if that's actually policy. So the president says, I can't do anything about inflation, blame the Fed. Uh, he said, nobody saw this coming, so I'm just happy to be here. He says, the pandemic, that's the problem. Remember, he said the pandemic is over. That's Title 42 has got to go away, but the pandemic is around. We need money for the pandemic. So he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Uh, here is Brit Hume, who's seen it all and knows when the president's on time. Do you know they did a study I think 96% of the public says that inflation is their number one priority and their number one concern. Inflation, 96%. Cut nine. But unfortunately for, the, for Mr. Biden and his party in Congress, this is a reality that has been recognized by uh, m- most Americans all across the country, if not all Americans, for a year and a half or more. Uh, inflation ha- has been here a while. It is continuing to, to grow. The gasoline prices are off the charts and some places in California, it's up over $8. So can you imagine being a member of, a Democratic member of Congress in a competitive district and hearing what the administration is saying now? Wow, painful. It is. Uh, that's why uh, I think there's going to be a route. And I just think that the Democratic Party is getting more squad members winning their primaries. There's no, show, no signs of sobering up. And James Carville is one of the people sobering, uh, sobering up that's come out. And Bill Maher and others, and said, what are you guys doing? Who, who exactly are you answering to? The Gov- Governor Polis, uh, Polis of Colorado. You're seeing some of that. I just, you know, they don't want to be anti-party. They're like, what is going on here? Uh, when Senator Menendez speaks up, when the president decides, I'm going to open up relations with Venezuela, a government I don't recognize that doesn't have the infrastructure to produce more oil, but I'll be friendly with him. He alienates Saudi Arabia. Now he's going to go beg for forgiveness in order to get them to pump more oil. I have a lot to discuss today, foreign and domestic policy, how it affects. Nobody's perfect, uh, but this administration so far, it's scary, and we're all paying the price. 1-866-408-7669. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be able to take some calls, and then we'll welcome in Carl Rove at the bottom of the hour and give you the latest on the investigation and the what's going on behind the scenes of these gun talks. Don't move. 
Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. While he did not succeed in getting a conviction from the D.C. jury, I think he accomplished something far more important, which is he uh, brought out the truth in two important areas. First, I think he crystallized uh, the central role played by the Hillary campaign in launching as a dirty trick the whole Russiagate collusion narrative and fanning the flames of it. Second, I think he exposed really dreadful behavior by the supervisors in the FBI, the senior ranks of the FBI, who knowingly used this information to start an investigation of Trump and then duped their own agents by lying to them and refusing to tell them what the real source of that information was. That was appalling. And that's a little Bill Barr last night with Jesse on primetime, talking for the first time about John Durham's investigation. He put Durham in place and said, uh, go where the facts go. And the fact is that Michael Sussman did lie that launched this investigation for some reason, that text message couldn't go in because it, that text message emerged after this trial was already put into motion. So it's a dumb thing. It makes no sense to me. It's not like it was a new text message. It was a text message they just found that affected the case. But Washington, D.C. attorney, 10 to 1 in favor of Democrats. This was a political decision. I haven't lost all faith in the jury system, but these guys were so conflicted with three Hillary Clinton supporters and one AOC supporter and with Sussman's kids playing on uh, the same uh, team with the judges' kids is just a little bit too much uh, for me. Walker's listen on WABC in Jersey City, New Jersey. By the way, that trial's not over. There's uh, Deshenko is going to be tried in October. Hey, Walker. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. Uh, you know, uh, I, I just I came to the realization that uh, you know how PR agencies work. You know, they, they, they work on a story, and then they get uh, a network to report it as news. Um, like like a, a drug comes out if if it's if 60 minutes does a story on a on a new miracle drug that, that this this is because a PR agency got them to do the story yeah your your phone's really rough so or they own it you know so they might have a movie that they own that their parent company owns the next thing you know they're doing a feature on this on the on the lead actor and it turns out it works to their benefit but uh the other thing that that does happen you know, you, you see some uh, the press releases go out all the time, but it's up to journalists to look past the press release and see if there's any substance there. The FBI and the CIA and the intelligence agencies are not really intelligence agencies. They're really people who plant stories per someone's suggestion. Maybe. Uh, thanks for the call, Walker. I know we got to be susceptible to it. When you see something featured, what, do they, what is it about them? I'll give you an example. Uh, on the other one, no. Remember the 60 Minutes decides there's, an, uh, there's, a, there's a guy in Florida uh, that is ignoring Anthony Fauci, that is letting his people make their own decisions, that's getting a vaccine to as many people as possible, that's going to major supermarket hubs in order to have a central location to allow people to be able to get out as quick as they can. And 60 Minutes decides, i got to take this governor down. He happens to be Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find out what's going on with this. And it turns out according to their studies, which were faulty, that the rich people that supported him in heavily red areas were getting the vaccine first. 
Their numbers were wrong. Their facts were wrong. And DeSantis blew them up on camera. And then he finally got the raw footage and played it all out. They were unable to get him. So there is some conjunction there when it comes to working cahoots, famously with the Hunter Biden laptop story. Now NBC says, we have this story about the Hunter Biden laptop. It's real. And turns out Joe Biden's son, Hunter, did a lot of deals with China. But there's no link to the big guy, his son. No one believes that. Just the outrage of the investigation uh, with Donald Trump is unbelievable. Here's more from Bill Barr. Uh, Cut 38. I am a little tired of voices saying, you know, these people belong in jail. Why aren't they in jail? Get them in jail. What this episode should remind us about is that we don't just throw people in jail. And the attorney general does not have the power to throw people in jail because the attorney general believes, even with a high degree of confidence, that people have acted improperly. He has to prove his case beyond a reasonable doubt before a jury. And in government cases, that means a D.C. jury, Mm -hmm. which is a very favorable jury for anyone named Clinton and the Clinton campaign. Those are the facts of life. And to get mad at law enforcement people because proving these cases beyond a reasonable doubt is difficult work is childish. Right. Uh, Manafort, people point out to you. I watch the other channels. I just want to see one lawyer say Michael Sussman. Uh, was allowed to be found innocent for X, Y, and Z reasons. But it doesn't mean he did not lie to the FBI. It doesn't mean this investigation was to move forward because an anonymous tip went in and he had to hide his identity. Because a lot of these agents wouldn't have taken the case, would have wasted their time if they knew it was a Hillary Clinton confidant that was giving this material. And at the same time, to find out that the FBI, they say they were duped. They were portraying it as the FBI was duped. If they portrayed it as the FBI was part of this grand conspiracy to destroy Trump, which most people believe... Then it would have might have been a different story. That's what Andrew McCarthy was saying yesterday. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Next week, Congress will take up, and actually tomorrow, the Judiciary Committee will be marking up a bill that does the following. Raise the age to buy weapons of war, this was we call some of these guys, from 18 to 21. That age was recently reduced in Texas, and that's why an 18-year-old was able to buy that gun. Restricted assets to ghost guns. Yeah, so she just rattling off a bunch of things that have no shot of passing because she got a slim majority in the House, putting it out there. Meanwhile, on the Senate side, they're working through red, something with red flag laws, and talking about making to you have to be 21 to get an AR-15. Uh, I'm not sure. I, Susan Collins is very optimistic. Blumenthal is very optimistic. Senator Murphy is optimistic. Evidently, Lindsey Graham is working with them. Uh, this can't be gratuitous. Why I see yesterday that I'm not sure if she misspoke. I don't know. Can you walk back what the press secretary says? She's supposed to do all the work back. I'm not sure if she misspoke or not. But she said the president's not interested in hardening the security at schools. That's got to be a priority. And if Republicans, if you don't want Republicans to do any deal, continue to say you don't want to harden the target at schools because then you lost them because everybody agrees that schools should have the same security that colleges have, that we have here at major corporations here at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, uh, that most corporations have, have to provide. You know, some rural areas they don't, but, you know, to get in the building, you got to have IDs now just about everywhere. But when it comes to uh, evidently, certain Texas schools, you can walk right in the back door. 
That does indeed seem to have happened. So we'll see what happens at gun. Let's go more for Nancy Pelosi suggests. Why do they need so many rounds in a magazine outlawing that? Banning bump stock sales for civilian use. Bump stock. And then cracking down on gun trafficking and, and straw purchases and the rest. As well as advancing states, safe storage so that kids in their own homes are not uh, exposed to guns that are not safely stored. All right, that was Nancy Pelosi just ranting about guns. She's going to put something forward the Senate wouldn't even look at. But what's going on behind closed doors? What can we learn? Texas resident himself, former Deputy Chief of Staff for President Bush, uh, Fox News contributor, best-selling author. Carl Rove, welcome back. Thank you, sir. And I, I read your Wall Street Journal column. I'm going to get to that now. But while we're talking about gun control, what are you hearing Republicans are working on in a bipartisan way. Yes, Senator Cornyn got permission from Mitch McConnell to go in there and, and see if we can get something going. Do you think that there's any commonality that could emerge from this or should? Well, I think there 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 could be and should be. Uh, and, and we have evidence that this can work. People now forget about it. But uh, Senator Cornyn led a bipartisan effort to fashion, this is after the Sutherland Springs uh, shooting in Texas, where the you know the uh, Air yep. Force uh, retiree had 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 basically escaped. Uh, you know, did, the, the 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 military was supposed to turn over information to the to the NICS system. That's the national database that keeps track of criminal offenses of people who shouldn't have guns, and he should have been on that list. And he was just one example of other problems that were with that. And uh, Senator Cornyn led an effort that, that, in a bipartisan fashion, by a big vote, fixed the problem, that problem in the background checks, the NICS system, and they got something done. And, you know, Cornyn is low-key, so he wasn't out there beating his chest about it. He was trying to find, you know, there are things we're going to agree on, and there are going to be things that we're not going to agree on. Let's focus on the things that we might be able to agree upon. So uh, I, I hope he finds some areas of commonality, things that would help make our secures more safe, um, and, you know, incentives for red flag laws, perhaps. I mean, you know, we, we you know, we have a lot of states with with red flag laws. Two of them are Indiana and Florida, pretty red states. Uh, good point. And I, I yeah, and Florida came up with that after the the Parkland shooting. Carl Rove with us now. Carl, you had a guest columnist in a place that you're on every week. Uh, he's got a very uh, big job. He's president of the United States. And you wrote today about the guest columnist column. Number one, you're jealous of how many words Joe Biden got to express what he was going to do on Ukraine and what he's doing on the economy. Uh, he did that earlier. Uh, so you push back on President Biden on that. First off, you point out his real cool political uh, approval rating. Real cool politics approval rating is 35.5 percent. It's lowest maybe in history. And all his column does is pass the buck and says, this is not my fault. Don't you have a yeah. fundamental problem with that? You want to expand on it? Well, yeah, I do. And, and and that's what my column was about. I thought it was a political document, not a governing document. I mean, it really is amazing. You're right. He starts off, everything's okay. Economy is terrific. And, it's, and he says, it's expl- explicitly says it's because of my economic and vaccination policies. Well, wait a minute. First of all, maybe the reason he's got 35 percent approval in the real clear politics average on the handling of the economy 
is because most people look at that and say, you know what, I got a problem. My my paycheck ain't keeping up with the costs of my family. And second of all, to the degree that jobs have returned, we're still not back to where we were before the pandemic. But to the degree that jobs and growth have returned, is it, they credit that to opening back up the economy, the end of the pandemic shutdowns, not to anything that Biden did. And as to the vaccines, well, who was the guy who made certain we got the vaccines in record time? Could you at least acknowledge him rather than claiming all the credit to you? But that was just the opening slug. You're right. He had three parts to his column. Yeah, part he number does. one is, yeah. yeah, part number one is, here's my plan. The Federal Reserve's in charge. In other words, blame them if it doesn't work out. Second of all, uh, I've got ideas on things on how we ought to spend money to to make the uh, to lower costs for some people. And of course, the, the, I'm going to ignore the fact that it was my big two 1.9 trillion dollar American Rescue Plan that kicked this all off. But but you know. If, if a lot of spending causes this problem, let's do a lot more spending and hope that somehow or another that makes the problem go away. And then he closes by saying, let's have an honest discussion between Republicans and Democrats about this, honest and open. But just that is in the same paragraph in which he says, well, the Republicans have a plan to raise taxes on people making less than $100,000 and got Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid. That won him three Pinocchios from the Washington Post fact-checkers. So, you know, not exactly a great ending for his column. Right. Uh, So he says uh, the problem is, uh, how about this? How about clean energy tax credits? How about price controls? How about um, how about we got uh, free elder care and child care? That'll help the economy. And he also went on to say the problem is taxes aren't high enough. Cut to. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on uh, right now. But the idea we're going to be able to, you know, click a switch, bring down the cost of gasoline is not likely in the near term, nor is it with regard to food. But here's one thing we can do. Look, I'll talk about this a little bit tomorrow, and I'm going to stop. And he's talking about it right now. He says we got to get taxes on the wealthy who aren't paying enough, and corporations, we got to get those taxes up. Reagan did just the opposite. He flooded uh, the market with supply, and he reduced taxes. What, what formula is he going off of? Well, he's going off of a very liberal economic philosophy, and it's bogus. I mean, even the progressives – I checked a very left-wing website that keeps track of how many billionaires there are in America. They say there are 664 of them. Well, let's assume that that's right. That ain't enough money in the pockets of billionaires, and that's what the president said in his article. We've got to have billionaires who are, who are pay, pay their fair share of taxes. It never specifies what their fair share is. I mean, right now they're paying 40% tax rate, 40-plus tax rate. And and yet, you know, we're going to somehow solve the problem by getting 664 people to kick in a lot more money. The only way that they can kick in a lot more money is to start stripping away their wealth, to basically say you've got to give up your house or your stock investment. It's not just – we're not going to just tax your income, but we're going to tax the accumulated wealth. And once we go to – first of all, maybe unconstitutional. I think it is. But if we go down that path, how soon before they start saying, well, you know what, that nice house you got? Yep. Really, we're going to start taxing that house. From the federal government, from the federal government perspective, because you know we, we got a wealth tax. So, look, he doesn't have a plan. Let's be honest about it. And he's he's right about one thing. 
There's no quick answer to lowering gas prices. He spent a year and a half doing everything possible to reduce the amount of oil and gas exploration, to make it more difficult to get product to market to refineries, and to make it more difficult to get refineries built. He spent a year and a half doing that. Undoing that is going to take some time. But we've got to start undoing it. Just because he did something bad doesn't mean that we, we, we ought to just let him keep those things in place. If you want to lower energy prices, you need to have more supply of energy. It's a fundamental fact. The more there is of something available, the lower the prices tend to be. Uh, I want to bring you to the baby formula situation where the president is flat out either wants what's to have short-term memory loss or he has it. Here's what he said about the baby, facil- uh, the baby formula facility. Just to remind everybody, in October, a whistleblower mailed a letter talking about the problems with the Sturgis plant. Uh, we do have the deaths of two children they thought might have been linked back to the Sturgis plan. For some reason, the mailroom stuck on this letter, gets in December. The FDI goes out in the new year and ends up shutting the plant down. And we have reports yesterday when the president did his photo op Zoom call with all the leaders of these baby formula companies. They told, said ahead of time that this is going to be a huge problem. The FDA was told this is going to be a huge problem towards production. Target and Walmart were briefed by the other CEOs that we have to find a way to get supply or it's going to be a huge problem. It didn't stop the president from saying this. Cut 16. The question is whether or not there was a, this could have been moved quicker. Why didn't Jack sooner? Um, well, I don't think anyone anticipated the impact of the shutdown of one facility uh, in uh, uh, the, the, the Abbott facility. And so once we learned of the extent of it and how broad it was, we kicked everything into gear. And I think we're, uh, I think we're on the way to be able to completely solve the problem. We knew it from the very beginning. This is the CEO of Reckitt, uh, one of these major companies. We knew from the very beginning this would be a very serious event. They said that from the beginning. So who's telling the truth, uh, uh, Carl Rove? Well, clearly the, the, the president was out, of the, was out of the loop. I mean, if somebody in the White House did know about it, they apparently didn't tell him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept his word that he didn't know about it in April. But the, the plant was identified in September, sanctioned in February. Industry executives said they knew that there would be a problem in February. The president says he, he became aware of it in April. So, you know, look, who's in charge of the White House? <laughs> You know, what kind of meetings do they have on a regular basis? Mr. President, uh, you know, it's April. We, we, we forgot to tell you about a problem that emerged in February that is really bad, and it's going to get worse. I mean, look, one other thing. Throughout the, 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 the public statements recently and in his written column in the, Washington, in, in the New York – in the Wall Street Journal, he is saying things that are fundamentally wrong, that are not accurate. So who's checking what he says? He make he claimed in his Wall Street Journal piece, I cut the deficit by $1.7 trillion. That that already he already said that and got whacked. I didn't know until this morning that there was the Washington Post sanctioned him today with an article saying he claimed that his green energy policies would reduce utility prices by $500 and that he learned this in a meeting with utility executives. Well, there was no such meeting. It didn't come from a meeting with executives. It came in a report, and the report didn't say that it would be $500 less in utility costs. It said it would be $500 less in costs from, for driving, and it wouldn't be happening if you enacted his policies. It would happen in 20 30. You know, the guy won't even be president then. So enact his policies today, 
and eight years from now, you're going to have $500 less that you're supposedly paying to drive than if you were than if than if you didn't pass his policies. Yeah. Not utilities at all. So you know he got he got sanctioned on that today by the fact checkers. Who in the White House is saying let's make certain that the president of the United States is going out there saying things that are accurate that we're not going to get ourselves kicked around by the fact checkers for having said something that is demonstrably false. God, I feel bad because you're supposed to relax as you get to lunch and kick back. I got you all fired up right before noon Eastern time. Uh, I feel responsible I, for that. You started off so, so methodical. I'm an hour later, so I got some time. You got some time? All right, Carl, that's yeah. good. Now I feel better. Read his column of the Wall Street Journal. He breaks it down in even more detail. Carl, thanks so much. You made America a better place. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to find out if you indeed need to know more. Learning something new every day. On the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think you do are not living in the planet most Americans are, which is why this kind of extremism, this, right. this anti-white extremism, yes. is losing popular support is is creating a backlash is going to elect republicans and yeah. undo a lot of the good you think you're doing this is what Secondly, happens when you don't talk about it right. this, this is what happens when white know. people don't talk about it is you have racist dog whistle tropes like this yeah. that actually perpetuate and perpetuate and perpetuate so i am i i and i did not come on this on this show to sit here and argue with another white man. That's one of the reasons that we don't even engage with white men at Race to Dinner. Um, so, um, you know, because quite honestly, if white men were going to do something about racism, you had 400 years. You could have done single white person upholds these systems and structures of white supremacy and we have got to talk about it if i could finger snap i would finger snap right now uh let's well, remove again from the calling me a racist Sean. Let, let's you're you've been doing a pretty good job with it yourself there so so john stewart invited andrew sullivan on his show and another woman from another feminist organization that hates white people on his show sullivan was probably not uh felt as though he was ambushed he went on to talk about it with Megan Kelly, Cut 41. I was asked 24 hours before, and I did it as a favor. And I thought, and I was told I would just be one-on-one with, with John. So mm. I was a kind of ambushed. But leaving that aside, to go on a television show and to be attacked because of your race and your sex, a dismissal of an entire group of people based upon their race and their sex, the definition of that is bigotry. And he gave a platform for that kind of bigotry. Uh, I was just an experience that Andrew, you just got the wrong guy. Uh, he's a conservative, logical conservative, happens to be gay, outwardly talking about it. And then you bring him on to say, apologize for being white. And that's where Jon Stewart's show is. Jon Stewart has also shown signs of being somewhat Bill Maurish, staying on the left, but also being a practical side to him. I didn't see it there. Makes me wonder if there's even more to know. More to know. Rolling Stones opens up their 60th anniversary tour in Madrid. They'll have, uh, they'll have 14 concerts across Europe, the first taking place in Wanda Stadium, Atletico Field. Good job. It follows the band's No Filter Tour. Uh, it's just amazing. I did not know Mick Jagger was such, such a fitness buff and stays in shape as opposed to Keith Richards, who does just the opposite, but they're both still out there. It's amazing. 
Uh, they consider they came in with the Beatles, and they have long surpassed for other reasons. Next, Sheryl Sandberg resigns as COO of Facebook, the parent company, to Meta. Uh, Sandberg announced her resignation. Time for her to do something else. She first joined Meta in 2008 with Zuckerberg. We'll see. I'm sure she'll be fine. This is a story I cannot wait to talk about. Next, Jada Pinkett Smith wants her husband, Will Smith and Chris Rock, to talk it out and reconcile after the big slap. Let's listen to Jada. About Oscar night. My deepest hope is that these two intelligent, capable men have an opportunity to heal, talk this out, and reconcile. The state of the world today, we need them both. And we all actually need one another more than ever. Until then, Will and I are continuing to do what we have done for the last 28 years. And that's keep figuring out this thing called life together. All right, that was part of Red Table Talk. Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith, went to India and came back. Let's see if they will. It'll be a big news if they end up talking together. If I'm Chris Rock, I'm kind of hanging out, staying on the outside for now. Wait for the right time. Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.